In Rail, we have quite a diverse range of different application fields. So running a tram without a driver has other challenges than running a commuter train or even high-speed train driverless. So we have really a broad set of applications there. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate your time with us. We are Supran Uli, moderators of today's session. And our today's awesome mind is Klau Balman, head of R&D, Artificial Intelligence at Siemens Mobility. Klaus drives mobility products using intelligent software with AI and machine learning for a better transportation more flexible, more reliable, more efficient, more comfortable, more inclusive, safer, and greener. <laughs> wow, that, that is even more, more awesome, right? <laughs> that is the longest introduction that we have for a long time, right? Klaus, we are super happy to have you actually today. And I couldn't get, you know, get a hands on having some, you know, thoughts of captured from you out here in this podcast, because an awesome mind needs to be in that as well. So let's dive right into it, right? Klaus, how are you? Yeah, thanks, Supra and Uli. I am very good today. Thanks for asking. Uh, and hi, Supra, hi, Uli. Uh, and uh, yeah, also thanks for having me here in, in your podcast. I'm doing good, sitting in my little office at home, like many of my colleagues as well. Yeah, to, uh, given the current situation, right? But before we dive in, uh, into a bit of on your role and responsibilities, we have li this little little small game, you know, like quick check-in, right? Coffee or tea? What, what's, what's the hot rotation on your side in the morning? <laughs> it's coffee. Yeah, coffee, obviously, right? Uh, train or car? Ah, that's tempting, right? Uh, train, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no question. Right? That's a good one. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, a cat or dog? That separates mostly of the audience. Yeah, more of a dog person. Uh, more of a dog person. Here you go. And obviously, right? AI or human? What's, what's in favor here currently? Human at home and uh, AI at work. Let's separate it that way. That would be awesome. So I know you and your team, right, for quite some contributions, actually, right, which you have with regards to the AI, machine learning, and also with, the, with regards to accessibilities of AI, right? But maybe, you know, uh, for, for the folks, especially outside of the corporate world, maybe, you know, can you share a bit of a, bit of a wider, you know, how do you end up actually, you know, in a place like Siemens? Yeah, I, I can share a bit here. So I've been with uh, Siemens for now 17 years in a couple of different positions. Currently heading a department for AI in uh, Siemens Mobility. My personal fascination is at the, the intersection of, of AI and, and transportation, obviously. So the fascination comes from learnings over the last few years where kind of I have, together with my team, discovered that there are quite a few possibilities where automation can make the future transportation simply better. And uh, automation has a lot to do with what we today call artificial intelligence. I mean, coming to AI, uh, my curiosity for AI came yeah, already in my master's studies. And it was <laughs> long back in the 90s, very much triggered by classes around neural networks. And uh, from that moment, my path into the AI field was kind of set. I continued uh, that interest during my PhD and also with my first job when I joined 2003. 
Siemens, corporate technology at that time in Princeton, New Jersey. And at that time, this was also where I, I had the opportunity to get in touch with my second passion beside AI. And that was really all things moving. So essentially the, uh, the transportation business. All things moving. That's pretty cool. That, that should be the vision statement of mobility, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty dope. <laughs> it's really a kind of seeing kind of everything moving there gives gives a lot of purpose in, in fact and uh, that's kind of a, a visional or let's say a visionary support for for the things uh, we are doing there i mean i must say kind of my first job when i joined uh, corporate technology was one of the coolest applications that somebody fresh from university could be dreaming about so in a small team we were working with siemens uh, vdo which was at that time a tier one automotive supplier. And that work was on driver assistance systems. So at that time, it was kind of a prequel of what today is autonomous driving. So the technologies, the, the tasks were quite related to, to today's approaches in, in some way in, in the field of uh, autonomous driving. In the sense that it was about uh, road detection, pedestrian vehicle and traffic sign detection. The difference to today's uh, autonomous driving was, of course, that at that time everybody was or everything was focused about uh, assistance systems, whereas today the goal is full autonomy, really. And I mean, that's certainly a, a different game, but it already gave kind of a taste of what is possible there. And in Princeton, then after uh, Siemens divested video to, to Continental in 2008, I continued on several computer vision projects, especially with uh, Siemens Mobility at that time, until yeah, eight years ago from today, I transferred from the US into Siemens Mobility here to Berlin, where together with my team, we take our shot at, yeah, as you said in the, in the introduction, making transportation simply better uh, using what is today subsumed under the term AI. In some sense, kind of as a last remark, uh, kind of a circle has closed and I mean, I again have the opportunity to work on autonomous or automated driving uh, and this time, uh, not for cars, but for trains. That's the fun. <laughs> that is great. Klaus, being in mobility, you've moved quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> From Princeton to Berlin. I assume that must have been a quite a journey, especially being in corporate technology in US, now in the business and products in Germany. What do you say is the major difference in, in moving from corporate to the business? So in a business unit, life is certainly more uh, focused. In uh, corporate, it, it was yeah uh, about the breadth of all businesses, ranging from industry, energy, healthcare, infrastructure, and cities. And uh, the business requirements were as broad as those business sectors are, in fact. So in our let's say own, uh, I don't want to say little, but in, in our own uh, business unit, everything is about mobility transportation. And it is easier to identify repetitive patterns in, in, in some way. So from my experience uh, in a business unit in, in Siemens, we have the opportunity to understand more directly and more thoroughly where are the pain points in the business and uh, where can technology help? How can it help? And while still making use, of course, of technological synergies across the different use cases. 
I mean, of course, in the business, from my experience, we are more tasks uh, to also integrate technologies into the products and obeying kind of all, all the harsh requirements or the harsh situations from the field. And we also have yeah, less of a mandate to, to look at the real, let's say, fundamental uh, research questions. Uh, so this is my experience kind of comparing these, these two worlds. It's the co-research versus the application research, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. You nailed it down. Absolutely. We also see from your uh, profile that you lead quite a, quite a group in the R&D department of mobility, uh, especially given the challenges of COVID-19. And you mentioned about home office earlier. Uh, has there been any changes in, in daily operation, especially being in lockdown and quarantine? Is there any major learnings that, that you have from these periods of uncertainty? Yeah, there are big changes. That, that is certainly true. And uh, I mean, the situation poses quite some challenges to, to everybody. And, yeah, Looking at the team, uh, everybody's different, right? And I think we frequently need to remind ourselves that different team members have different needs, especially in these, these changing times. So there are people in the team who were quite used to a lot of interpersonal direct communication and now they need to handle all that remote Microsoft Teams and, and other communication. We also have colleagues who, who joined us from other countries uh, coming to Berlin, also from overseas. And we, I think we need to yeah, acknowledge that also on the private side, their, their usual social interaction had been ran down significantly because they couldn't just leave their apartment and uh, meet with their friends anymore. And their families were, were not staying with them in the home, but they were far away. And that, uh, I mean, it is clear that, that this has effects. So realizing all of this, I, I must say that I'm very thankful to have a team who is showing dedication and ownership of their work, of course, and, and also of yeah, their, their social interaction with, with each other. And they're really doing an amazing job. Really proud to say that so far we didn't really have major roadblocks in our projects or, or delays because of the COVID situation. And that goes with a huge appreciation how, how the team is performing. Yeah, awesome. Speaking of, you know, work, uh, that obviously we are, we are super keen on, you know, I guess for me, you know, being in, in Siemens for quite some, a bit also a bit of time, not not as, as big as you, obviously, but in time, you know, I always thought like, you know, health is pretty, pretty dope from an AI perspective because you have these computer vision modalities, you have a bit of, you know, obviously IoT and, and data and time series data and structured data uh, also, so you, you can make use of, you know, the plant of information. But in, in terms of just viewing on data, right? If if you look on mobility, then you have these these marvelous opportunities cases because you know you're interfacing with the real world, you're interfacing with manufacturing, with production, with service, with you know those those kinds of cases. And therefore, I guess you know you're when you are driving AI and mobility with the team, right? You see quite a quite some cases and opportunities. Can you share with the audience outside maybe also some of you know the cases you're you're excited about and you're working maybe and, and the progress there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, happy to share. So yes, there are quite a few product and service developments in, in Siemens Mobility that rely on AI technology. 
Now, let's take, for instance, uh, customer service applications. So we do have, with, with our rolling stock and also in, in the infrastructure, many sensors in the field that collect data, much data, 24-7. Uh, and AI can help to automatically inspect our assets and predict, uh, for instance, failure and maintenance needs in, in the field. So if we take an example we can think of, let's say, cameras mounted on trains and uh, taking images, let's say, for instance, of the tracks themselves from a service train or from a regular train. And the, the AI task is then to, to inspect the tracks about uh, certain uh, defects. Yeah, And it's not just about images, uh, but we can, I mean, it, it can also be time series data. So we can think of kind of measuring electric current in certain products over time in, in point machines, for instance, and yeah, analyzing the data for certain uh, anomalies, uh, defects, and so on, and give a signal to the service team when, when something is fishy. Another application in, in uh, let's say, customer service is what we call service companions. So today, a service technician takes his tablet and goes into the field for his maintenance job. Tablets have a camera. And he can certainly point the camera towards the environment he, he is currently servicing. And we do have developed AI or computer vision-based AI that automatically identifies what the camera is seeing, or it identifies also the context where it is placed in, what train, what type of train is the service technician in, or what part in that train is, is he looking at. And even going further, what is the associated SAP number associated to that part and so on. And uh, then the downstream tasks from the uh, service te technician can be tailored to, to that particular yeah, context. So he can be presented with the right pages in a manual. He can be guided through the ordering process uh, so that he kind of has a, has a one-click ordering process to, to order the spare part if, if there is a defect and so on so taking the photo of the part and then you know you see already okay this is the tool you want to order and click on that right making yeah, yeah. making amazon's one click in the shop floor basically on a, on a real down mobility you know scenario case working exactly so if you have the context you can automize many tasks Another topic that is currently uh, getting a lot of attention is about creating digital twins. So, for instance, from our rail infrastructure. So, in a simple way, we can also call that HD rail maps. Uh, so, it is about using sensors, also, for instance, cameras, but also LiDAR scans and, and others, and the appropriate AI analytics uh, to create a digital representation of what infrastructure assets, so thinking about, let's say, point machines, balises, masts, what of these assets are located where, and also what, what their condition is, and, and so on. And uh, those sensors, they can be mounted on the trains. This is very practical because the trains move, so they can monitor kind of a fixed world, of a fixed infrastructure. Uh, they can also be mounted on drones, or the data can also come from satellite or, or aerial imagery and so on. Once created, digital twins can then uh, support the whole uh, product lifecycle, including installation, operation, maintenance, uh, and so on. And uh, the lifecycle in our domain 
typically lasts many decades, 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, that, that's, a, that's a big bang for the buck. So once we kind of digitize the product setting, we can benefit from, from that for a, last, or for a long time. So that is a digital twin. What else? I mean, we can certainly optimize, that, and that's a big topic right now in, in our organization. We can optimize the transportation for a better automation in the operation by driverless or, or unattended trains, for instance. And in, in many situations, those trains need uh, sensors on board and also a smart analytics, of course. If we look with the sensors, not into the outside world, but into the inside, into the, the passenger cabins. So this is what, what CCTV systems are, are doing that are installed in, in some uh, train modalities. We can enhance the uh, safety and, and also the passenger experience. So we can, for instance, analyze the occupancy of trains for instance, also for guiding the passenger flows towards homogeneous utilization of, of the entire, entire train. And this is especially useful in, in the COVID context. So less risk for infection in that regard. Or we can also detect violence in the cabin and re react with a certain action there. And that, of course, while obeying the data privacy of the passengers. How is that done, actually, right? If you have a certain aspect, right, and you, you want to capture, I don't know, aggressive behavior or, you know, someone needs help maybe also, right? You say, like, you know, we can, you know, we, we take obviously, you know, privacy as uh, for, uh, for serious. Can you share a bit of, you know, what what was the, the rationale behind or what is the process behind? How do you do that, actually? Hmm. So it is machine learning based. So machine learning means we, we need data. We need data for training and we need data for testing. On the other hand, that could conflict with storing videos from <laughs> real life in, in the trains if the passengers, uh, they don't want to be recorded and sitting on, on hard drives of uh, major companies. So the, the way we, we kick-started that project was really to uh, bring in actors who, who were instructed to simulate kind of aggressive behavior. And they did an amazing job, actually. These actors, they, they, they perform way better than, than our engineers themselves. And, and that, that way we, we, we managed to, to get like real kind of aggressive data for our neural networks to be trained on. So this is the real version of the simulation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was so real, you can't imagine. I mean, at, at some point, actually, the police was getting to our building because somebody uh, called them up uh, <laughs> because of <laughs> <laughs> screaming out of our windows. <laughs> okay. Yeah, awesome. And so, so then, you know, based on this given train data, then you, you train to model. And, and so you just use inference, obviously, then um, if, if you want to deploy it, right, in, in powered state. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I mean, and now we can go into the field. I mean, we can also kind of add anonymization methods to, to the data and so on. Speaking of 
crazy ideas, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess, right, you know, most recently, right, I think it was also by, by Fast Company, right, um, Roland Edel, which is, you know, the CTO there, right, he has been nominated as one of the creative people, right, 22, yeah, in, right. you know, setting up the concept of basically electric trains to the public transportation, which is called somehow e-highway, right, electronic highway, right? To be honest, is that a, a crazy idea putting, you know, <laughs> or is it a pretty awesome idea? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still yeah. puzzled, but I, I think it's it's bold and I love boldness, right? So, but putting, you know, the e-highway e construct on the road, and I think it's piloting 100Ks, right, in Germany, right? Can you can you share a bit of what is the, this, you know, driving electrification is key also in, you know, obviously on the road is key in Germany and, and Europe, I guess, right? And overall especially for road ride transport, right? And heavy infrastructure is, yeah. what, what's your thought on that, right? Yeah. Can you share a bit of how far is the project and yeah. where it goes? I mean, before answering whether that is lunatic or awesome, maybe kind of as an explanation for the listeners, <laughs> but what e-highway is. E-highway is a concept of, of trucks being equipped with a pantograph. A pantograph is Stromabnehmer in German. So pantographs on a train, we have pantographs put on the trucks and those trucks are running within a network of freeways and that are partially equipped with overhead lines where they draw the electricity, where they are powered up essentially. And that can be combined with other means of power, either kind of a battery or, or a diesel electric hybrid type of setting. And that is kind of one of Siemens Mobility's contributions to, to electric vehicles, to EVs. And Roland Edel came up with this idea around it was around 10 years ago so he also contacted our unit at at that time uh, so at, the, at that time we were very much focused on in fact on, on postal and parcel automation but it had such a high degree of, of mechatronic know-how necessary that kind of we, we fit in into that very well and yeah since that 10 years uh, this product is, is being developed and yeah, now, whether this is lunatic or awesome, I can't say this really, <laughs> as I'm not really expert in, in the mechatronics field. But, but what I can say is that many people had doubts, and Roland showed an incredible amount of, of persistence and vision. And that is what you need to do if, if you are convinced of, of something. And today we are seeing the installations in, on, on many uh, pilots in, in Germany and in, in Sweden, we have seen it in the US, and I think the persistence has paid off. And uh, that's also kind of a great teaching I take for myself from, from a personal perspective. Yeah, we never know where the idea comes from and how awesome the idea can turn out till we test it out, isn't it? Yes, yes. And everybody is nowadays talking about all these buzzing words, right? One of that is autonomous driving. Referring to all these autonomous vehicles, people usually think of, including me, uh, we usually think of autonomous cars. Mm -hmm. But uh, we also understand that there is autonomous driving coming in public transportation uh, domain, wherein you know there are subways and trains looking in that direction. It will be super helpful and awesome for our uh, listeners out there if you can explain the complexity involved, if we can bring, bring this autonomous driving to public transportation. Yeah, so the difference between, let's say, autonomous driving on the road and, and rails, so there are certainly the, the obvious ones. So in rail, we have one degree of freedom. 
as and this is kind of the lateral position or let's say the lateral position is fixed and, and we only have the uh, longitudinal degree of freedom because we are bound to to the tracks this has a blessing of course so we can better predict where the ego vehicle uh, and other vehicles or other trains will be and also our parameter space in the vehicle control is smaller so we can accelerate we can brake and we can ring the bell. So these are our only options, of course, on a continuous scale, but we can steer. This one degree of freedom also comes with a curse because we can only accelerate, brake, and ring the bell to avoid a collision. We cannot do any sideways maneuvers, and that limits us. And automotive has, has more freedoms in, in that regard. Another difference, trains have more mass, which is obvious. And also passengers on the trains, they are not buckled up like in, in cars. And uh, these two things imply, as it is not hard to imagine, longer braking distances. And in turn, this also implies longer range requirements when we look at our sensor suites. And also in prediction modeling, we need to cover longer time intervals because we, we are looking further ahead. I also want to add in, in rail, we have quite a diverse range of different application fields. So running a tram without a driver has other challenges than running a commuter train or even high-speed train driverless. So we have really a broad set of applications there. And in some of these applications, there is already in the rail domain a safe automation technology in our market. This is mostly infrastructure driven, but AI and or vehicle mounted sensors, uh, they have a chance to integrate nicely here. So kind of with combining AI and, and the traditional safety systems like ETCS, for instance, uh, we can play the best of two worlds. You were talking about the differences, right? Uh, I was just trying to understand if there's any sort of uh, similarities as well, because in the cars, we have five different phases of autonomous driving. Is there anything similar to that in the trains as well? I mean, is the taxonomy the same? Yeah, yes. So automotive has the, the SAE five levels of autonomy, starting with uh, simple adaptive cruise control, assistance systems, reaching where, where cars drive even without a steering wheel. So rail has a similar system, a taxonomy uh, that is called GOA for grade of automation. It comes with levels one, two, four, so, yeah, following a, a similar logic. Yeah? So GOA one means the driver is, is responsible for the driving. And then GOA four, uh, which is the highest grade, we are looking at a fully unattended train. So there is no driver and there is not even a train attended on board to, to oversee the, the operation. If you see on the autonomous driving, let's say car based, right, then you see somehow two bets or at least my perception, right? The one is, you know, we'll take the LiDAR in it. Right, and the other one. Well, I ain't gonna lie there. We make it a computer vision task, right? If you you know Carpathy and Tesla, right, and Elon Musk, right, called Carpathy. So like, turn this control problem into a learning problem, right, and try to solve it with you know purely, almost purely, right, um, um, computer vision, a bit of laser involved, right? While Waymo or Google's and other initiatives take on lidar case. What is the bat in in on the mobility space there? What kind of sensory informations uh, you know are, are being used and 
I guess speed and stuff like that, especially on high high speed trains, right? That poses quite some challenges also to sensory information, isn't it? Yeah, it just this really depends on, on where you want to go. I mean, talking about the challenges, I mean, the, the difficulty of the automated driving not only depends on, on the GOA level or on the SAE levels, but uh, there, there is also another criterion, which is very important. And up to now, it's, it's a little bit of, of neglected in, in the media. And uh, automotive calls this ODD. So that's kind of the operational design domain. And that says, essentially, this is the set of operation conditions uh, under which an autonomous system is specifically designed to, to function. And we can either go for a totally unconstrained situation or we can be narrow in a, let's say, geofenced uh, environment where we can, I mean, in, in this geofenced environment, this is kind of the Waymo. This is the, the Waymo thinking of, of autonomous driving. And there we build highly accurate maps of, of every brick and we stick to, to that. And this is also where we need the accurate sensors like LiDAR systems. Yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing is that uh, the, the GOA4 operation within a narrow ODD is already in operation in, in rail. You know, if we, I mean, narrow ODD means very constrained setting, uh, closed system maybe. And so we have these people mover trains at the airports that connect to terminals. And there is the possibility of, of the screen doors at the platforms that avoid uh, kind of any interaction with pedestrians there. There are some metro systems, for instance, in, in Nuremberg that operate in, in GOA4 mode. And, and this is possible because we exclude any interactions with you know, random stuff like humans. What we are working now is to go into the domain of broader ODDs, such as commuter trains, trams and the like. And the, the approach we are taking there is more of a, a Waymo approach rather than, than the Tesla approach, because we think that we can also narrow down the ODD quite a lot in our applications. So if we think of tram lines, we only need to cover this, I don't know, 10 kilometers stretch, and we can build these, these maps very, very accurately. And the other aspect is the, the aspect of safety in a sense that uh, the more the more different orthogonal sensors and analytics technologies we can bring in the faster we can get into a safe operation mode what is safe and what is very verifiable right I, I guess you know that's obviously hitting the real world and and maybe hitting the real world especially trump right crazy almost i would assume almost the same complexity as in autonomous cars right because you are hitting the real world people as not not hitting in the you know <laughs> but i mean you know you are deployed in the real world and that means right trustworthiness and verifiable right we are industry products you know and we know in machine learning we do these objective functions and we optimize we try to you know interpolate with data as much as possible but though still if we're doing that in the industry and a product level on yes yes we want to launch a product right you, it has to be safe and it has to be verifiable what means verifiable in that case can you share a bit of yes i mean this is an excellent question and i mean our industry is putting a strong value on on safety and uh, bringing ai into our industry we cannot just say well let's forget about safety <laughs> we we are doing fancy things and the, the field of trustworthy ai is yeah, it's it's developing right now. Also in the uh, yeah, I mean in the AI community as well as in in the industries. And in my view, it's at the beginning of yeah maturing from 
something that, that was hard to grasp, at least for me, previously into uh, quite a systematic field. And it, it will be getting more important in, in the upcoming years. So trustworthy AI includes many facets. It includes data privacy, transparency, fairness, human agency and oversight, resilience, and particular technical robustness and, and safety. I mean, in, in our context, safety is, of course, the, the most essential, I, I would say, aspect of all of this uh, because of what, what I mentioned earlier. Our industry, we are under obligation to go through formal homologation and, and certification of our products when safety is critical. And that will also be the case for AI. So in other words, we need to gain trust from the society and in effect also from the assessors that there is no unacceptable risk originating uh, from our AI-based systems or for the unattended or, or driverless driving, for instance. And we, we as an industry, in, in that case, we will have to set up an ecosystem of norms, legislation, processes, and, and technologies that will uh, support these homologation processes in the sense of trustworthiness and safety. And we are really in, in exciting times right now where we are tasked to marry AI and, and safety. And it has technical challenges. I also see kind of this, this culture clash. I mean, if you ask an AI geek about whether his AI system is robust, he says, of course it's robust. It only has one error out of 100 tries. If you have a safety engineer sitting next to it, you will say, well, that's only four orders of, of magnitude away from where we need to be. And by the way, can you guarantee that 1% error? The, the, the AI geek will respond, guarantee no. Uh, the behavior is random, of course, and, and so on. That's kind of, I, th I think there are two communities that, that need to learn to, to talk to each other. And I mean, certainly for, for the technical challenges approaches. There are already a few on the menu uh, and we need to combine them in a, in a smart way. You know, current hip, especially in corporate, let's say, right, in corporate AI and machine learning or data science, you know, departments is, you know, the bat on AutoML, right, in terms of rather, I, I guess, AutoML, two different sides, like, you know, the enthusiast and, and the geeks, the one is neural architecture search, the other one is more, you know, automizing the entire machine learning process, you know, data in, mm -hmm. beauty out, right? Mm -hmm. what, what's your stake on that? <laughs> Especially in, in, in the mobility direction. Do you think, uh, you know, RTML will be feasible? You just need the business guides and, and, a, and a smart toolbox? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, automizing uh, ML workflows uh, is, is something that needs to be there, definitely. We, we need to do it because we want to free up the data scientists from manually uh, kind of pushing steps in, in, in the pipeline. And lots of this stuff can already be done in a, in a very, just a regular fashion, yeah? If kind of we set up kind of an automated execution of, of the pipeline, starting from the data to multiple training rounds to kind of formating the results in a way that 
kind of uh, an assessment can be done very easily. We don't need AI to, to do that, but this can be achieved by pure software engineering, and that is essential. So now, kind of this, this only data in, optimized model out, I think that the current state of the art is, it's, it's, I mean, at least for somebody who hasn't access to a computing farm like, like Google or, or Facebook have, it's still kind of a dream to become true. And kind of practically, I, I think, I mean, at the moment, we still need to, to go to manual opt optimization and, and looking kind of what are the, the architectures where others have made progress with and maybe mimicking this. But yeah, maybe, who knows, maybe the future really brings us the all-in-one auto-ML technology. I've not seen it so far. And... We are almost at the very end of our session, but before we close the session, we want to play a small game with you. I would give you the starting part, and then you would complete the sentence for me. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Siemens is. So Siemens is an excellent place to experience AI in a, in a diverse set of applications and shape solutions to it. So, I mean, if you're interested in, in seeing theory applied in, in the real world with, with meaningful applications, then uh, Siemens is really, it is for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And innovation is? Innovation is commonly linked to a risk. So it takes a bit of a courage to, to innovate. And sometimes it, it can fail. And sometimes something wonderful can grow out of it. What's your favorite quote, actually? If you have, do you have one on one rational you you follow along? Yeah, the, the the quote that kind of was was with me in in the last years is uh, so nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. It's a quote that I learned from a friend here at Mobility during volatile times, and in fact it has has proven as a repetitive pattern afterwards. Mm -hmm. oh, great one. And what's, maybe final one, what's your personal superpower? It is also fueled a lot by my, my own personal purpose. <laughs> this is how superpowers can, can grow. I mean, what has succeeded kind of repeatedly is kind of having a view where our company can make a difference, accepting the challenge and, and solving for it together with many smart people. Oh, that's a nice closing Klaus, thanks very much. I have the feeling, right, we could have spent another three hours and it gives a track that we can do an entire mobility <laughs> podcast session actually <laughs> on, on just, you know, great, just talking to you. I could continue now for hours, but really we appreciate so much your time that you, you know, be with us, spend your time, share a bit of also for the outer folks, right? What's why AI and mobility at Siemens is pretty awesome and pretty cool to join. And folks out there, stay tuned. There is a, a lot more to come, actually. Uh, even the bar is quite up now. Uh, stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And you will hear us to the next Siemens Ayala podcast. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks also a lot for having me in your podcast series. So you're doing really an excellent job. And it was a fun discussion today. And I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.